It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Science. Exercise. Nutrition. Health. Energy. Passion. One year, no beer. This is the One Year No Beer podcast, where you will find all the latest tips, tricks, and hacks for a way to live better. Welcome to the One Year No Beer podcast. I am Andy Ramage, or Ramage, if you want to be posh. Um, this week's guest, Grant the Axe Rawlingson, and you'll find out why he's called the Axe um, during the chat that we have about all things, I think, peak performance. I mean, Grant's got this amazing background. He was a professional rugby player, um, played professional rugby sevens for New Zealand, which is a tough sport, believe me. It is right up there, I think, probably the toughest sports on the planet. Um, And when he retired, he he just decided to go on all these, I guess, crazy adventures, these man-powered adventures. That's his angle in many ways. He does the most amazing stunts from Climb Neverest, to kayaking across oceans and he likes to do it as light as possible and by that no big support teams pretty much himself a backpack maybe a couple of people with him and he tries to achieve the most amazing stunts all in the name really I think of mindset about pushing himself about growing about learning and he shares so many of those insights with myself today and I was fascinated by it because I'm all about mindset I'm all about growth I'm all about extending ourselves and pushing ourselves beyond our comfort zone to to grow and learn and it's very much what this alcohol-free adventure is all about and what's interesting also about Grant that he's currently alcohol-free himself because he he realized that to perform at his peak as he does on, on a regular basis that there wasn't any room for alcohol we share some nice stories around that so it's a fascinating chat um, all about empowerment, I think, and about mindset and about what can be achieved and that all of us are capable of more than we ever dreamt possible. So that's enough from me. Let's hear from the man himself, Grant the Axe Rawlingson. All right, so welcome, Grant. Hi, how's it going? Cool, yeah, I know it's uh, late there for you over in Singapore and the great irony, we, we were just having this conversation, was that I was meant to be in Singapore today, funnily enough, but here we are on Skype. What's the time there? Is it sort of, did you say 10 o'clock? Just after 10 o'clock now, yeah. Oh, nice, nice. So good man. Thanks for staying awake to this late. So really what I want to get you on the show, someone had recommended, actually, I, I put a post out on LinkedIn about my alcohol-free adventures and someone uh, popped up and said, you've got to talk to this this guy, the Grant, the Axe, as it were. And even the name intrigued me. I was like, that sounds fascinating. Um, and mentioned that you were taking a break from alcohol. So I reached out and and here we are. So, I mean, I guess let's just kick it off. I mean, maybe you can just give us a bit of a background to your story and, and behind the name as well. I'm really intri- intrigued behind the name. <laughs> yeah, so I'm originally from New Zealand, uh, born and bred in New Zealand. I've been now living in Singapore for, for 20 years. Uh, so I spent about 20 years in New Zealand. And then um, I spent two years in London um, doing all the crap jobs, um, as a lot of Kiwis do for a couple of years. <laughs> and then, um, and then I, um, I've spent 20 years living and working in Singapore here now. 
you know, coming from New Zealand, I didn't have much choice growing up. Uh, rugby was my um, rugby was uh, the game that I played. I really uh, was pretty lucky to play for 25 years until I um, smashed my leg up, dislocated my ankle, and broke my leg quite badly playing in a in a big tournament called Hong Kong Sevens. Oh, um, but the the name, yeah, the name Axe actually uh, came from um, from rugby, and it was um, basically uh, how I used to tackle people. Uh, I'm, I'm I, I'm not I'm not the biggest person in the world. I'm only about um, five foot seven, but I used to uh, used to get um, horizontal and dive two feet off the ground um, at people's legs. So yeah, so that name kind of stuck. I didn't actually um, really enjoy the name for quite a few years, but it's one of those things that just stuck, and I didn't realize I didn't have much choice on it. And I guess the moral of the story was that um, people. Uh, People remember you for uh, what what you've done, um, not what you uh, not, not what you wish <laughs> wish they remember you for. So uh, I just went with the flow at the end of the day. I thought if they all know me as X and they don't even know my real name, then I might as well just uh, stick with it. I love it. I love it. And so what do I do uh, is basically um, I'm a professional speaker. I have my own uh, motivational speaking business and. Uh, I run decision-making workshops um, to help uh, to help people basically make better decisions in, in business and in life. And I also coach uh, the, the workshops are for teams of people, corporate teams, uh, and I also do individual coaching as well. And I use basically metaphors from the world of uh, extreme adventure and exploration to deliver my content. So for after my after I broke my leg playing rugby, I then um, uh, found a new passion in basically mountaineering and human-powered travel. So I I, uh, I now commit my my life really to to making very long human-powered journeys around the world and in different locations. And over where you're sitting over there in the UK, I, I did one a few years ago from the summit of Ben Nevis in Scotland uh, all the way to the summit of Mount Blanc in France. Um, completely by human power, you know, using bicycles and kayaking across the English Channel and uh, cycling wow. through France and Switzerland, yeah, up to the summit of Mount Blanc. So I've done a few of those around the world now, and I'm, I'm pretty, I'm in the middle of a of the biggest expedition of my life at the moment, uh, which was to travel from Singapore all the way back to New Zealand, which is a journey of about twelve. Well, by the time I get there, it'll be fourteen thousand kilometres. Um, crossing a number of seas and um, cycling across the continent of Australia. So that's been my big project that's taken me five years um, of investment and uh, $400,000 of uh, money. And last year I was away for 200 days traveling by human power and uh, almost got to New Zealand but got blown back to the coast of Australia by a massive storm. So I just have the last uh, that last crossing to try and finish off in a second attempt in a few months' time. So that, in a nutshell, is, is is what I do. All right. So you haven't been up to much then. You've just been taking it easy, and <laughs> <laughs> you've retired gracefully from the world of rugby, and you've just put your feet up and had a few beers. Not. I tried that. Yeah, and it didn't quite work. <laughs> clearly, and just even circling back to a couple of the sort of adventures, let's say. I mean, the one I guess that we can identify a lot with, as you said, the Bent Nevis back over. Was it to Mont Blanc? Did you say? Yeah, Mount Blanc, yeah. So how yeah. long did that take you? What's the like logistical, what what was going on with that trip? I mean, it's just fascinating. To, I mean, and the reason why it's interesting, we did a, a, a recent one, you know, beer trip, actually, to Snowden, Mount Snowden. 
And it oh, looked yeah, okay. such a buzz out of it. I mean, it was one of the best yeah. trips I've ever been on. There was about 30 of us in the end. One of you know, beer members, all shapes and sizes, levels of ability. But the the act of climbing mm. that, you know, mountain, which essentially was a hike up, a, you know, a steep slope, was fantastic. It was a wonderful bonding experience for sure. everyone. It, you know, it, it smashed so many limiting beliefs. Um, not mm. only socially, because there was a group of people that got together who had never met each other. And, and historically, we would have socialised with alcohol and all those things. But here we were, thrown together, no alcohol, yep. climbing a mountain. And we had this massive, you know, experience and bust two big myths. One that, you know, from a physical standpoint and two from a social standpoint. So I think a lot of people are, will identify with that you know, that climbing of Ben Nevis, as it were, and onwards. And, and what's your experience with that? Is this always a, like a solo adventure? I guess it is in, in some sense. That particular trip was uh, just with a, um, another crazy Australian guy, just the two of us. So um, if you want to find someone crazy to do an adventure, just uh, go to Australia. There's plenty of, plenty of them there. <laughs> He's a good mate of mine, but uh, my my preferred mode of um, adventure and exploration is um, is uh, I call it to use as little support as practically possible. Yeah, I like very small teams, um, and we we don't use any support vehicles or any support vessels, and uh, we literally um, carry everything ourselves and um, go light and go fast. Well, actually, go light. <laughs> Not sure how fast we go. We. Got dropped off in um, in uh, Fort William in Scotland, and then uh, initially we wanted to do a tech, one of the technical routes up the north face of Ben Nevis because we're we're both technical rock climbers, but uh, the weather didn't allow it. We only had three weeks um, of of time to complete this whole thing, so uh, we got to Ben Nevis on a Friday afternoon, and we we're going to climb. Um, a route on the on the Tower Ridge of Ben Nevis uh, on the Saturday, but the Saturday was terrible weather forecast, so we ended up just racing up Ben Nevis on the Friday night as soon as we got there to tag the summit and get back down again. And then on the Saturday, we started cycling all the way down through Scotland and um, England. So Scotland um, did what it usually does and rained for three days. Um, and uh, and then we got to England and the sun came out. The sun nice. always shines in England, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, so we cycled all the way, uh, cycled through Yorkshire, that was beautiful, um, and then, uh, yeah, all the way down, crossed over to the East Coast, and then uh, had a few challenges getting around London, because couldn't work out how to get to get across the Thames, uh, so in the end, had to cycle all the way in, and cross, um, go under the, uh, I think it's called the Woolwich, Woolwich Under Tunnel or something. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, I don't know what that's called. Yeah, Woolwich Ferry, but maybe there's a yeah, there's a tunnel there as well. Yeah, there's there's a very old tunnel under the river there, and then uh, yeah, and then all the way down to the south coast of England, where we then paddled across to uh, to France. So basically, the the challenge in this trip is uh, is the weather because um, we have so little time. You don't have time to like turn up at the English Channel and, and wait for one week for weather to blow through. Uh, or, you know, turn up at Ben Nevis or Mount Blanc in France and wait for a week, which sometimes is, is a very common thing to do if you, you're trying to attempt those things. So the risk was really in that um, that the weather was going to delay us. But I've done a few of these trips now where a lot of people have said you, you, it'll, you'll never be able to do that because that particular component, you'll get stuck yeah. with the weather and you don't have enough time. 
but uh, we just do them anyway, and we've we've been incredibly lucky. So turned up at um at the south of England. When you, when you cycle, you we cycle through any weather; it's not an issue. So cycled through a lot of rain and crap weather, but got to the south of coast of England, and it just so happened that the very next day was the only day in the space of about ten days, which was which was perfect to cross the channel. So um, got incredibly lucky, paddled over the channel to to France. And then uh, yeah, got back on the bikes and rode uh, for another 10 or 12 days all the way to Chamonix and then got two perfect days again to, to climb Mount Blanc and literally came off the summit, came racing down off the summit, got in the uh, taxi and went to Geneva Airport and flew back to Singapore to get back to work. So <laughs> nice. We're hours to spare. <laughs> and you make it sound so easy, like you just got in the kayak and just paddled, paddled over across the channel as you do. I mean, what's the logistics of that? I mean, do you have to get clearance for that? Or can you just you can just go? You know, do you go through shipping lanes and stuff and your your little kayak? Yeah, and... yeah the channel was a, was a pain in the neck, to be honest. Um, I tried one year from about one year before to get permission to kayak across the channel. If you don't know about the English Channel, it... It is basically illegal to cross by human-powered means, except for swimming. And um, you know, there's a there's a very old channel swimming association which you can apply through and join the queue, and they still have um, the authority if you go through the channel swimming association to um, to cross over. Right. But if you want to if you want to windsurf, if you want to kayak, if you want to do anything else, the French side, not the English side, the French side say no to everything. So I even um, I wrote to the um, admiral of admiral of Cherbourg, who's in charge of the um, control of that of that part of the of the channel. I wrote to them in French about six months before and tried to get special permission, but they they wrote back and said no, uh, definitely not. If we give you permission, we have to give everyone else permission yeah, as yeah. well. So the only way we could find to get over was um, to have a support boat from the English side, and we paddled out into the middle of the channel. Uh, right in the centre, and there's five miles of the uh, French shipping lanes which you're not allowed to paddle across. We had to get out of the kayaks there into the support boat, and we motored across those five miles and um, then got back into the kayak again and paddled into France. So out of the 2,000 kilometres, five kilometres was not by human power on that one, and that really um, disappointed me. Still, It's still... Uh, disappoints me to this day unfortunately because you know the channel they say it's the busiest shipping channel in the world but based here in singapore where i paddle almost every weekend it, it's nothing it's not not busy at all compared to how busy it is in, in the port area here in singapore so i didn't think it's as, as risky and as bad as, as they thought when i was out there myself yeah but i guess it's one of those isn't it computer says no if that's the way they've always done it unfortunately you know and and I guess as part of all of these type of adventures you've been on, there's got to be that flexibility that um, that allows you to do these things. Otherwise, if it's too rigid, as you say, it's never going to happen. But I guess with your lightweight crew and human power, I mean, I love the idea of the, the human power element powered by, you know, your own steam rather than these big support crews and whatnot. I guess it allows you to take on all these different types of adventures. And uh, a question really about mindset, and I know you're a motivational Speaker now, we talk loads about mindset on, you know, the one, you know, be a challenge about having this mindset shift very much um, around alcohol, you know, that you don't need it in your life to have fun and be cool and, and, and all these type of things. And I think mindset has a lot to play, whether we're doing 
adventures across the channel or we're playing rugby or we're changing you know our mindset around alcohol i mean what is your your type of mindset going into these challenges how do you get yourself like in that frame of mind to take on these massive endurance style challenges that's a good question and um it takes me quite some time to to come up with a project uh, so I, I climbed mountains for about 15 years up until 2012 as well i don't just want to climb any mountain in the world um i have to um, come up with an idea and it really has there has to be like a like a trigger and it's like yes that's it that interests me yeah that um it attracts my curiosity that particular peak or peak or that particular route it suddenly triggers something inside me and the human powered journeys that's what they do as well they trigger something inside me and once that trigger goes off and once I um, and, and once I you know I identify with it, it really becomes my purpose. And, and then doesn't matter what anybody says um, or how many people say no, I just um, I just become 100% focused on that particular goal for for years uh, until I get as close as possible to achieving it. So mindset is incredibly important i say it's about 80 to 90 percent of uh, of my success you know i've climbed everest i've um crossed oceans in my rowing boat and cycled across continents and walked across countries and it's not because i'm the fittest the strongest um you know or the most physically capable it's uh, 80 or 90 percent down to mindset really of course you need to be you need to have a, a, a base level of fitness but it's nothing um, there's no superhuman superhuman abilities there on the physical side and do you think that's something that you've been able to grow or develop like you know over time you, even going back to your rugby career you clearly with the axe i'm guessing that involved a serious bit of mindset to be able to perform at that level and you know again as, as you said a five foot six style rugby player going up against all those giants and being able to you know horizontal tackle is that something you think is innate or can be grown no absolutely it's 100% from from me you know, I can only talk for myself um it's it's grown it's um it's developed uh, when I was uh, at like primary school I was the the last one to be picked for any of the teams um I was just really small I, I, I had one of those those birthdays, which was right at the end of the year, so yeah. I just made it into the year, and I was already a small person, so I was like doubly small. I was tiny, and um, you know, I developed a little bit a bit later, I think, physically, so I, I couldn't run that fast, and um, I was just just crap. I was the worst player in the team, and uh, and I used to get run round, of course, all the time and run over, and uh, it wasn't until about. 16 or 17 years old after I played for five years that I actually started to learn um, technically how to tackle. And uh, I can still remember the first tackle I did. It was almost by mistake, you know. Someone almost ran into me and I, 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 I took on a trip, tripped over and uh, ended up tackling them around the legs and they fell over and I was like, oh, my God. So that's how you tackle. And then um, I just started going crazy, running around, getting horizontal and uh, <laughs> ta ta tackling these big guys. Because when you that's – that's a great thing about, uh, about anything that you do in life. People who are born naturals, um, you take um, Diego Maradona, for example, in the world of football. He made a terrible coach because yeah. – can't sit down. He can't. He doesn't know how strategically and tactically to teach people how to do things because it, for him, it was instinct. It just happened. Yeah, he can't unpack it. It just happened. Exactly. 
And um, when you have to actually work really hard at something to learn how to do it, you actually have to learn how to do it and come up with a system and a method- methodology for doing it. So so that really helped, uh, definitely. I developed it in the, in the world of rugby. And in, in, the, in the world of exploration or adventure, what, I, what I've been doing for the last 20 years, I think um, I never ever wanted to use guides in, in any of the projects that I did because I would prefer to choose a lesser or a lower objective and do it myself and learn and grow from it. Um, that's where I get the satisfaction rather than shortcutting the process and using guides and hiring a lot of support to take on something that was that was outside of my capabilities. And by doing that year after year, you naturally just grow and you get stronger. And of course you have um, – you have some setbacks and some. Uh, I've had some massive failures um, on Everest. The first time I, I got pulmonary edema and um, had a had a, a very close to death experience on the north side of Everest. And uh, in my current expedition now, I spent three weeks out at sea trying to row from Australia to New Zealand and got smashed in a big storm and washed back onto the shore of Australia. And uh, you know, these are not small things. You've been training for a year for them. They cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, it's a massive amount of stress and risk on your family, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's pretty disappointing when you don't when you don't get there. But um, it's also incredibly, it's an incredible way of of um, developing your mental strength um, by going through the failures. That's why you know, just going and and taking on a challenge and getting there and getting and succeeding for me, is not very good at, at developing your mental strength because, in my opinion, generally it means that you're um, possibly setting your sights a little bit too low. Yeah, that's really interesting. And there's so many parallels just listening to you talk there about, you know, the mindset around this alcohol-free adventure that like many of our members are on. You know, it's that planning, it's that preparation, it's that learning, it's that growing. And very often, you know, in, in my journey on that, that adventure, there was lots of slip-ups, lots of errors. As you said, it was like learning along the way continually, mm. you know, some spectacular failures, you know, not in a physical sense like there are on, you know, adventures such as yours, but there's many parallels with that, I think, and all that learning and there were no guides. And I guess essentially we are guides in some ways, but it's down to that individual to take on this type of a challenge and learn as they go from their mistakes. And, you know, if they do slip up and things don't go quite to plan, to see that as part of the process, you know, part of the, the growing process, as it were. And then they can come back like you're doing in the physical world to complete your adventure. They can come back to complete their adventure at a later day. And I think there's so many par- parallels with that. And as you said, I think it's 85% it's mindset. You know, it's, it's, it's mm. uh, you know, in terms of the alcohol-free adventure, it's that mindset that I can do this. I can still have fun. I can still be social. I can still do business and all those things that were hanging over me personally and you bust those myths through actually putting yourself in in the the lion's den, as it were, and, and achieving. And then just on that note, um, on your own alcohol-free adventure, I know that's that's sort of come about in the last few months. What what was the sort of the motivation or the inspiration behind that? Yeah, so the motivation was um, after. I got washed back into shore in Australia. I'd been traveling for like 200 days last year. I expected my expedition would have been over, but there I was washed back into some foreign foreign fishing port in Australia that I'd never heard of. And um, everything in my life was a bit upside down. And uh, I 
I uh, basically sorted my – took me about a week to sort my boat out and get out of the water and find somewhere to store it. I flew back to Singapore, and then I had to decide what I was going to do uh, because my all my plans, my life plans had been thrown into a massive disarray. Expedition was massive. you know, For me anyway, it was a budget of almost $400,000. Wow. Um, it had taken three years of planning and preparation. It had taken the whole year. There's a documentary being produced about it. So there's, you know, there's a whole team of people waiting behind there a book to be written and I thought I'd, I thought I would have been finished the expedition I'd come back to Singapore I'd write the book a documentary would be produced everything would blah 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 but instead um, it wasn't um, and you know I was almost broke at the end of last year as well because I um, spent so much money uh, and so I came back to Singapore and I thought what am I going to do would I go back to the corporate world which I'd had a job in for before I, I quit my job to, to go on the expedition, and um, my my uh, my ex company offered me a, a very nice position to move up to China and work up there. Uh, and but my other one of my other burning ambitions was to set up my own business and work for myself and um, set up my own motivational speaking business and and human development basically training business. And uh, so I had this big decision to make during the end of November uh, and early in the month of December last year. And uh, I got some coaching around it. And uh, I was still having a few drinks like during the week while I was doing this, going and seeing people, just my normal lifestyle. And then I, I made the decision that I was going to um, not go back to the corporate world and I was going to set up my own business. And that was like, you know, turning turning the key on really and setting that focus again. Yeah. And I went out uh, early December for a Christmas function, and basically, you know, I'm a binge drinker, um, and uh, it comes very much from the rugby kind of days, I guess. But uh, I'll go one or two weeks quite easily without having any drinks. I don't don't really miss it. But when I do go out and see people socially, I, I would always be the last one there at the end of the night. Yeah, yeah, I know that feeling. And. Uh, I'm definitely, definitely not proud of it. Um, and uh, and so there I was in early December, and I, I um, well, it was only six months ago, and, but um, I can remember, I, I don't remember getting home that night and uh, woke up in the morning. I'd lost my bag and with my, you know, whatever, my electronic stuff and my diary and all my other bits and pieces in there, and I felt terrible that whole day, wasted the whole day. And I, and I thought to my, that's when I made the decision. I said, if I'm going to set up my business, I just can't afford to do this. I can't afford to behave like this, um, and I can't afford to waste time like this. And I made that decision then that I'd stop drinking. I had no idea how long for or what it would be. It was just like I just knew I had to stop. So I actually stopped for almost two months till the end of January, all, all the way over Christmas and stuff, and you know, life became much more productive. And it wasn't until the end of January um, when I was I – was, giving a talk um, in Hong Kong and um, uh, and it just so happened that someone in the crowd was someone from New Zealand who I used to play rugby with 20 years before and uh, after the talk he goes let's go out and have a couple of drinks and I was like well you know I haven't seen him for 20 years I go and have a couple of drinks so I went out with him and uh, before you know it uh, you know the bar's closing and uh, we've had lots of drinks and um, get back to the hotel, wake up late in the morning. I missed one of my coaching calls, felt like crap for the whole day. Um, you know, all that, you know, two months of not drinking and being yeah. fantastic up to that point, I was like, you know what, this is just, 
I just don't miss this at all anymore. And uh, since that point at the end of January, I haven't touched another drop. And now it's, it's been three and a half months now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, the productivity has just, uh, just gone through the roof. Um, there was a, there was a, <laughs> I mean, just take last week for, for example, last week I, I had a friend in town from England. I went out and met him on Wednesday night, um, for a few drinks. I just drank water. Um, I stayed with him till about midnight that night and got home and then got up at five o'clock the next morning and, and went and trained. Yeah. You know, in the old days, I would have been blasted and, and not been able to get up at all. But then on that particular day, I had another function on that on the Thursday that evening as well where my friends were drinking. I didn't drink that day as well. Um, and I got up again on the Friday morning at five o'clock to train. And then on Friday lunchtime and afternoon, I had some more friends who came into Singapore and we went out for lunch and they drank beer like for three hours from lunchtime till three o'clock in the afternoon. And I drank water, dropped them at the airport, came back and did some work, you know. So and, and in my old life, I would have been, you know, at the end of those three days, I would have just been a mess, you know, oh, just pieces. tired. Just, yeah. yeah. Absolutely knackered, not done any work for three days, just saying, oh, I've got to stop drinking, you know. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's just so much, it's so easier, so much easier just not to drink. Isn't it? I mean, and again, there's so many parallels with your story and mine. One of the big reasons for me stopping was that I went to set up a new business and I looked at it and just thought, I cannot be hungover. I cannot be unproductive. I need to be on my A game, like at yeah. all times to get this thing off the ground. I cannot lose myself for three days curled up in a ball crying at reruns of the x factor because i'm all over emotional <laughs> about absolutely nothing <laughs> you know big tough right. guys you know you're reduced to, to tears because i'm so hung over um and that was it you know and, and and like yourself and i think many of our members discovered the same thing when you have that initial break and you realize what it's like again to not drink and you get all productive then when you do go back and have a drink it's like do I really miss that? Do I really miss all that shite stuff that comes with it? No, I don't. And that, I think, is the motivation then to come back and take a longer mm. break. And then, you know, it doesn't have to be about lifelong abstinence, but um, for lots of people like yourself, when you want to be super productive, like clearly you are, there's no room for it, you know, is, mm. is the truth. There is no room. There's no time to lose a week. Like, as you said, if you'd done that three days in a row, that would have taken you out for those three days plus another three and some. That's a whole week loss. Yeah. To like non-productivity it's just there's, there's no time for that which again i think becomes a wonderful motivator for people you know because it just doesn't align mm. with their best most productive selves anymore and then therefore it just starts to fall off their radar which in some ways is the best way to be i think rather than the short sharp shark it's like do you know what i just don't want to do this anymore and then back mm. to the mindset shift that's when it happens i think people experience that mindset shift of i'm gaining way more than i'm ever giving up so what's the point and then it becomes yeah. easy. You know, it's not a challenge anymore. You just don't do it because why would you? Yeah, that's right. And also, um, I mean, I have two little girls that are twins and they're uh, almost three years old. And I think one of the most painful experiences in life is to have a hangover um, <laughs> when you've got when you've got little kids at home. You know, yeah. you, you're looking at your you're looking at your watch at eight thirty in the morning, wondering how long, how many hours it is until they go to bed. Yeah, and it's terrible. <laughs> it's it's funny and it's terrible, isn't it? Because we've all been there. Like this is this beautiful moment with you and the kids, and it's like, when is this going to be over? Put some more right. pepper pig on. 
<laughs> Where are the iPads? Help. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, that's salt salt into the wound for sure. You know. Yeah, no. It sounds like we have some parallels there. You you understand well, and I can empathise exactly with your situation as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, but what is you know is inspiring. I think is people like yourself and like myself who came to this very much from you know there was no quote unquote problem we just wanted to be fitter or faster or more productive or be around more for our children and i think that's the really important message as well you don't have to wait till there's some big problem it's like do you know what if you want to be more productive just take a break from the booze it's not rocket science and see how you feel and if you do feel great and you are more productive then brilliant stick with it you know do 90 days or 365 days or you want to see more of your children you don't want to resort to ipads and pepper pigs and you know you want to be on the ball then experiment with yeah. this thing you know and yeah. It's great to see people like yourself, even if it's just taking this challenge for a while, you know, or, or your own challenge around being alcohol-free because you're an ins inspirational character, what you've achieved. And then I think for other, you know, men and women to see that, it inspires them, actually, hold on, these guys are doing this. They're leading these super productive lives. They're doing all this amazing stuff. There's got to be something in this. Maybe I'll give it a try. Um, mm -hmm. And and on that note, where can we find out more about you? What are you doing? How can our people get in touch with you? Because I think there's going to be quite a lot of people inspired by the story today. Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, my my expedition website, uh, where I just just where I post my blogs about what I'm doing in the in the world of adventure is axoneverest.com, all one word. Okay. And my, and my corporate speaking website is called powerfulhumans.com. That's powerful hyphen humans.com uh, and that's where i um that's the business business part of uh, what i do but um just as a as a quick note there and what you're saying there about the mindset what one thing i really enjoy about the not drinking is the is the mental strength that it gives you you know as you know as you know very well um just like physical strength you can work on your mental strength right by by pushing yourself a bit there is that um there's that challenge there can you get through it and uh, I really enjoy that. And I also do. I also experiment with fasting as well around food. And um, I find the mental side of that is is really beneficial. Just just not eating. I don't fast for massive periods like days, but I, but I skip meals. Right, like uh, maybe I'll skip um, breakfast and lunch and just just eat from dinner till dinner. Being disciplined is is it's addictive actually. I really you know, enjoy that's, it. That's a brilliant point because I always say to a lot of people, it's like, you know, when they have a big social occasion coming up and I'm like, this is what you've been training for in many ways. You know, this is what all yeah. the, the, the days building up to this, this is an exciting event. This is a chance for you to test your alcohol free mm. skills. If you're a footballer or a rugby player and you'd be doing all that training, you'd be looking forward to the big match to go out there yep. and put yourself, you know, in a position where you've got to use all your training. And that's exactly what it's like, you know, and, and I think that's a great reframe on it when you've got these social occasions like enjoy the challenge of going to a social occasion and not drinking you know and the bigger the yeah. cha challenge whether it's a wedding or whether it's sober dancing and all these crazy things that you can still do you know <laughs> enjoy that stuff you know throw yourself into it and see what happens and there's so much mental strength in that isn't there i, I genuinely believe Absolutely. that when you can deal with you know, and the trauma as well, you know, when the, when the bad stuff happens, when, you know, the, 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 you know, all those things happen and you deal with it for clear head, you, you become mm. a stronger person, guaranteed, on the back of it. Yeah, yeah. You're not resorting to just bulldozing through this stuff, hoping for the best. It, it never actually helps and you miss the mm. chance to grow, like you said earlier. Mm. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. 
Perfect. Great points. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you. It's been an inspirational stuff. I'm delighted you're on your alcohol-free adventures. All the best with finishing the last leg, I guess, of your uh, your adventure back over to New Zealand. Keep us posted on that one. We'll put all the links in the show notes to your your talking uh, the business and um, the Everest expedition um, online as well. Um, thanks. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm sure I'm going to catch up with you soon enough for an alcohol-free beer in sunny Singapore. That sounds great, uh, Andy, and uh, it's been a, been a, uh, an honor to be on your show. Keep up the great work. Good man. Thanks, Ron. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to the One Year No Beer podcast. For a full list of episodes and to join in the challenge yourself, head on over to oneyearnobeer.com. oneyearnobeer.com. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.